across America. We're here on a Sunday. We're doing it on a Sunday. What's going on, y'all? How we doing? How we feeling? Yes, it is summertime. We are here on a Sunday, special edition Sunday. Thank you to all the folks who have been here checking in early. Let's see who's here on a Sunday holding us down. Hey, Shayna P. Hey, Bryces, holding us down. Now, listen, I don't take this for granted. We have moved this show around plenty of times. We went from four nights a week, Monday through Thursday, to just Thursdays. And now we're coming to you with a special Sunday edition. And I know it's nice and hot all across America. There is a heat wave. Uh, there is a part of California that is recording a temperature of 130 degrees. The highest recorded heat temperature in modern times, as long as anybody alive can remember. So there's a lot of other things that you can be doing. But you are here with us. Chloe Across America on a Sunday, Sunday edition. Give yourselves a round of applause. Yes, Sunday fun day. Okay, now let's get to it. It is Sunday. Um, I am hella tan, if you can't tell. Um, so please don't write in being like, why is the screen so dark? I am several shades dark. Matter of fact, I'm several shades darker. I have like five different suntans. I now understand why it's important to put on SPF. Because as an African-American woman who loves the sun, I never really got as much sun as I get now because I used to live in New York City. But when you live in California, you could just walk around the corner and you come back with six suntans, depending on what you have on your body. So my legs were, uh, I had sunburn on my legs. Yes, black people can get sunburn on my legs, um, which doesn't help because then your skin peels and then it looks like I'm hella ashy and cracked up and you can't be looking like that walking around. So, yes, I have a suntan. I also wonder now that I live in California, if my skin complexion will just be naturally a little bit darker because of the sun difference. And let me tell you something about climate change. We're going to talk about climate change because I know you saw the videos of the New York City mass transit being inundated with rainwater and backed up sewage, by the way, um, over this past week. But when it comes to climate change, you have to realize that everything is different. It's not just always oh, hot or it's really cold. It's like the sun rays are cooking us up. Now, I don't know if y'all are old enough to remember this television show called, Al I think it was called Alien or Aliens. I can't remember what it was called, but it was a show in the the 90s and aliens lived on earth and they were here because their plane got fucked up and all i remember is that they were they had like like no hair like they all looked like really like reptilian um and then the men carry the babies i, I know this is not a dream it was I know called alien nation thank you town alien nation thank you so at the end of alien nation the earth is getting too hot and the aliens are telling the earthlings, if you want to survive this hot ass sun, you need to become an alien. And so they gave them like the DNA of the alien. And basically it made their skin able to deal with the UV rays. So Bryce, says it's 109 degrees in Arizona. Bryce, I don't know why you're in Arizona. I don't know why you would want to be where it's 109 degrees. What is in Arizona? Okay. So anyway, so that's how I feel. I feel like we're at that point where human, the human body can no longer handle the, the sun and we're going to be reptilians. I know they talk about like the browning of America, but, but what, if, what if the browning of America really is us getting our alien reptilian skin? 
so that we can handle the UV rays. See, I, I didn't even smoke today. This is just me. This is just me thinking on a Sunday. You got a lot of clarity. Okay. You got a lot of clarity when you be baking in the sun. All right. So I'm good. Things are good. The job is great. Don't ask me what it is. I'm still not allowed to say what it is, but it will be announced soon. That's the reason why the show is now on a Sunday. It's very challenging. It's, it's just great experience. And I'm so excited. I can't wait to like talk about it publicly, but we have a great show today, ladies and gentlemen. And I don't even want to hold this up because we are jam packed with guests. That's right. We have guests, guests on today's episode of Chloe Cross America. Tim is here being a grouch. Also, also, hold on. Let me get my, let me get my sound effects ready. Let me get my sound effects ready. Ladies and gentlemen, Chloe Across America now has producers. <gasps> That's right. We have two amazing producers, Brianna and Bokeh, who helped put this episode together. Without them, there would be no show. So I told y'all no. I told y'all no. <laughs> I can't stand him. Okay. So we have producers who are helping us get the show together. Um, so now when you give donations to the show, the donations will be going to the producers of the show. And Tim, if he behaves himself, we'll see. Okay. So shout out to our amazing producers who are holding the sound. Yes. Strong but mighty. Strong but mighty. Okay. So this first, um, this first story happened a couple days ago, but I really wanted to have a drill down conversation about it. And we have two amazing guests who are going to help us facilitate this conversation. Now, I'm going to bring you up to speed. If you did not know, right, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, refused to give tenure to Nicole Hannah-Jones, who was the main author of the 1619 Project. The 1619 Project has now caused legislation and lobbyists across the nation to try and ban critical race theory, which is basically white people saying, we don't want everybody to know that we were terrible to people of color in America, so let's change history or make it illegal to talk about it. And as they talk about that, they're also adding into anything that just offends them that they think makes white people feel bad or guilty about the way white people have systematically treated people of color in this country, right? So that's the backstory. So she didn't get tenure. Then finally, because of public pressure, the, U the UNC board gave her tenure and she said, thanks, but no thanks. I'll be taking my talents to Howard University in Washington, D.C. And not only is Nicole Hannah-Jones going to Howard, she's also enlisted this gentleman. Let's see both of them. Mr. ta Coates who I thought was living in Paris, but I guess he said, you know what? <laughs> There's uh, important things I need to get to back in America. So he is now going to also be a professor of a brand new journalism department that will help facilitate all the things that Miss Hannah Jones was trying to accomplish at the University of North Carolina. Who? That is the Cliff Notes version of everything that's gone down. But in addition to that, why I want to have this conversation is because when we talk about critical race theory and all the ways in which Black history is being attacked, we need to fully understand where we come from, how our history has been pretty much whitewashed, and why it is important to have this conversation now. So joining us today are two amazing minds 
first up, we have Miss Mary Elliott. She is a public historian and alum of Howard University. She is also the museum curator of American slavery at the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. And she also wrote the broadsheet, which is a newspaper insert of the 1619 Project. In addition to Miss Mary Elliott, we're also joined by Dr. Courtney R. Baker. She's a specialist on the impact of visual culture and Black life. She's an associate professor in the Department of English at the University of California, Riverside. Please welcome to the show, Miss Mary Elliott and Dr. Courtney Baker. Hello. Welcome, ladies. Hello. Thank Hello. you. Okay, I know I, I said a mouthful, so hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully, um, people are up to date on this conversation, and I cannot wait to dig a little deeper. So I want to start with you, uh, Mary. It is so crucial that we have someone who is a Howard alum who can talk about the new role that Nicole Hannah-Jones and ta Coates will bring to already an illustrious journalism program at Howard University. Well, it is important, and we do have... Um a dynamic journalism program at Howard. We just had Joy Reed come through the department. Um, we have some wonderful alum, including Frederica Whitfield with CNN, Michelle Miller with um, CBS This Morning, and many other journalists out there in the world, folks with ESPN, um, Stan Verrett and others. But it's important for people to understand the role of journalism and also the power of the pen. So you have um, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who is going to the um, to the School of Communications, and she will be the inaugural Knight Foundation Chair. I, I don't know the exact title, but you get it. And then um, Ta-Nehisi Coates is going to be in the English Department as the Sterling Brown Chair in the English Department. So what does that mean in terms of the power of the pen? If you really look back through history, one of the very important ways that African-Americans got their voice out into the public arena was through the black press and through um, public intellectuals writing speeches, delivering sermons, writing narratives, even during the time of slavery. But then as we move forward, the importance of recording, documenting this history, and then taking people to task intellectually looking at the legacies of slavery. And with regard to critical race theory, Critical race theory is looking at institutionalized and systemic racism through the lens of the law. What we're learning about is history in school. Kids in school are not learning law. And I can tell you that because I'm an attorney. And so mm -hmm. people are learning this through the lens of the law in law school. Mm -hmm. What people are learning now is a more inclusive history. And that is what challenges the general public, some folks in the general public. I refuse to paint a broad stroke. Not all people are of that same mindset. Yes. And I think that, you know, brings up a, a great point. Um, Dr. Baker, maybe you can address why do you think it is that it is so convenient to just change history um, depending on who is offended versus the actual truth. Because if that's the case, I'm pretty sure Plato and Socrates would say, can we please not write the part where I said that part? And like all of a sudden this revisionism is sweeping the nation. Uh, <clears throat> thank you. There's so much to pick up on. And indeed revisionism is, uh, you know, what's, what's the saying that we have now? Don't let the facts get in the way of, of the truth, right? Um, 
we're in a moment where, you know, journalism is under attack. Um, basically, facts are under attack. Education is under attack. And I think we're in a moment now when we see what happens at the intersection of these things, when folks, all folks have been denied um, learning about the history and the truth of what's actually happened. Critical race theory, and, and I really appreciate the reminder that it is legal theory, right? This is this is how it is. This is how we understand the law. This is how we understand facts. This is how we understand uh, history. History just doesn't happen to monuments. Ha history happens to human beings. Um, so what we're talking about and what we're embedded in is an educational and a legal and project of reasserting who gets to tell the story and how and who has the authority to talk about basically African American life as it has existed, right? That's the 1619 project and why it's so important. And so, why do you think? Um, all right, so let me ask you this, uh, Mary, since you worked on the 1619 project, at, at any point during your research or your writing, did you think that this would lead to everything that is happening right now with legislation? You know, we did the exhibition at the museum um, and the museum opened in 2016. And I'm really here representing myself as an alum of Howard, but I'll touch on um, the exhibition in the Smithsonian and it was well-received. And when I say well-received, it was well-received by Black, White, Latino, Asian Pacific Islander, and Democrat and Republican, even some of the most conservative Republicans. Um, the framing of the 1619 Project, the way I put together the broadsheet, it shares a lot of that information that was featured in the museum. But what's most important is it's grounded in sound scholarship and connected to objects that have been authenticated that speak to the truth, right? Um, I think that the magazine section, um, what people wrestle with is that it connects what is going on today with as part of the legacy of slavery. And so I think that's the issue sometimes is people making that, connecting the dots. And um, I think that was part of the heavy lift that, um, that the 1619 Project magazine did with all of those many essays to look at various topics that um, African-Americans are facing in the nation right now, whether it's um, highways being put through people's neighborhoods or whether it's health disparities or looking at um, you know, um, the economic um, gap between black people and other folks. And so I think that is the challenge. Um, but at the end of the day, everyone, regardless of race, needs to understand the history of the nation. Mm -hmm. And so even when you go through the museum, there are black people, white people, Latino people, Asian Pacific Islander, straight, gay, you name it, everyone says, how come I didn't learn this in school? And so it's not to say, hey, learn this just about black people. It is learning about the American story through the African-American lens. But when you go into the section on Revolutionary War, you learn about military, you learn about black people in the war, you learn about the nation getting the, the, the colonies becoming a nation. So it's so much. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Baker, you are a professor. And so how has this impacted the way in which you address these issues in the classroom? You know, I, um, when I was in graduate school, I, I really just 
I dedicated my life to studying black people and taking black African, in particular African-American lives seriously. Um, and kind of going along with what has been said, what I discovered was that I only knew the tip of the iceberg. Um, that so much of our history, so much of our stories, and also the ways in which our histories are influencing and impacting the decisions we make about the future are, are, being, are being in some ways kept from all of us, right? That we've had solutions to some of these problems that we're facing now. And, and so, you know, as someone who is teaching Black, black Studies, who co-founded a department of Black Studies, um, it's, it's an exciting time, but it's also very much an embattled moment because I think that folks are really getting to see um, the power in, in, in discovering the truth. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why this moment with uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones and ta Coates had, you know, taking their talents to Howard, it, it, to me, it feels like a watershed moment. Um, and I think a part of that is because HBCUs for so long have been known to the African-American community, but now this is something that has brought it to the mainstream. In addition to both of them heading to Howard, Howard announced that they had received 20, a $20 million uh, donation from sponsors who wanted to put their money where their, you know, their mouth, you know, money where their mouth is. And that is something that also needs to be had, uh, a conversation that needs to be had in the mainstream because there's not, there's more than just Howard. Right. There's so many historically black colleges all over the country whose history is as enriched as American history itself. And we don't even really understand the roles that these schools had for newly freed enslaved people. And so now we're at a moment where we have a new generation of young people who are doing the research, who are asking questions. And I think maybe you both can weigh in on this. I think that now this may be the thing that helps turn people back to HBCUs. And sadly, it wasn't, you know, if it wasn't for Hillman College, there's a lot of young millennials who wouldn't even understand how impactful HBCUs are. So can either one of you speak to the ways in which HBCUs can help combat critical race theory as far as holding the conversation if you are a person of color you may only be able to have these conversations at a historically black college and university moving forward well i'll say this look <laughs> i i'm a graduate of howard and i'm here to represent the alumni and the thing i would say is um howard hasn't has never really it hasn't lost its momentum the hbcus have always been um a strong resource I will say this, that when I applied to college, I applied to seven colleges and got into all seven. Six of them were HBCUs. And my parents' generation collectively clutched their pearls. Now, all of them are attorneys, doctors, business people, entrepreneurs who went to HBCUs. But their children were going to Brown, Penn, Harvard. And then I switched the dynamic and went to Howard and brought it back. And then my grandparents' generation, I had an aunt who had five degrees. She went to Langston. The university's vocational school is named after her husband. But these HBCUs play a vital role. They were created at a time when we couldn't, we didn't have access to higher educational institutions. So we made a way out of no way. And you're right, Howard, it, like many HBCUs, has always had a stellar, dynamic, amazing 
um, accomplished faculty. I think what's important about these folks coming, these public intellectuals coming to the university is that they're going to train the next generation that's going to follow behind and carry this torch and know how to craft a message, know how to do analysis, know how to do research, and really understand what are some of the key topics that will help to advance the Black community, the agendas of the Black community. And the last thing I'll say is, there are a lot of young white children who are going to HBCUs because they've not been able to afford to go to other schools. And we need to keep that in mind. I struck a balance. I went to HBCU and I went to a predominantly white law school. I wish I had gone to Howard Law School, but I got the benefit of going to different sites. Mm -hmm. Dr. Baker? So, so I did not go to an HBCU um, for undergraduate or graduate. And I, I kind of understand that in some ways as being um, being part of the generation right after the civil rights movement, where there was a, a promise and a real hope for some African Americans. I think that you know it, integration the, 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 that the feet could be held to the fire in terms of integration. That these spaces that were historically white would genuinely. Um, recognize our talents, would genuinely be able to educate us in ways that are crucial and for the benefit of the entire population of the, the nation, of the world. Um, and I think that, you know, these many years on since what we might call the successes of the civil rights movement, um, we've really seen in some ways some significant retrenchment in these institutions, in terms of the educations, in terms of you know the the ceiling, um, and the accomplishments, and the, and the degree of success that we uh, folks of color, Black people in particular, are permitted to achieve, and so I think that that it's it's worthwhile both to think about the enduring legacy of HBCUs as the place where you could be at home as a person, as a black person. Um, and also to think about what it, what it can do and what it might mean in this specific moment. Now that we, you know, we've done tried integration um, and we're seeing what some of the, the new old strategies are. So what can, how can HBCUs serve us? And also how can we serve it? So you talk about the philanthropy and the investment in it. So. I think these are exactly the conversations we need to be having right now. And in and I'll I'll end it with this, you know, when you talk about separate but equal, I mean, I think we realize that that didn't really pan out and you know, my hope is to see, you know, a lot of young students of color see Nicole Hannah-Jones and Ta-Nehisi Coates take their illustrious resume and accolades to a historically black college and say that there is value there, right? And, and instead of saying like, this is a backup plan, this could be, I did, also did not go to HBCU, but I think that's because culturally I'm a New Yorker, my parents are Northerners, that wasn't necessarily a big thing if I had lived in the South for sure. Um, and I went to NYU and I was like journalism. And that was what sold me. There are um, a lot of people from the North who came to Howard. I saw many in New York, Philly, <laughs> New Jersey, Massachusetts. I know, but you know, my family, just, my family never, we never even talked, we never even talked about it. And that's, I think that's another thing. It's like yeah. when you talk about going and, to 
good school, sometimes the conversation doesn't even extend to HBCUs. The first HBCU I just say I didn't have the clothes. The first HBCU was established in Pennsylvania. Yes. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I have no excuse. Um, student debt is still the same. Um, so <laughs> no. I um I I went to NYU and we did and NYU did have a program where they did a semester exchange. So if you wanted to go, you mm-hmm. could go HBCU and then some went to here, but I played basketball, so I couldn't go because it was the middle of like the playoff season. Um, but if I had done it over, I absolutely, without a doubt, would have gone to HBCU for sure. I think there's a lot of things that we don't get in as far as a sense of community when you go to a predominantly white school. There's so many other issues that mm-hmm. come with that that you don't have to deal with. So I would definitely have gone to an HBCU. But to round out this conversation. What I want to know is, do you think that this is something that will help influence more people to look at HBCUs as a number one option, especially when you see the links in which the board at the University of North Carolina went to to essentially shut out a great black mind in Nicole Hannah-Jones? Um, can I pick up on, on that? Because I, 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 I want it all. For all of us, you know, I want I want the HBCUs. I'm currently at teaching at a public university. Um, in some ways, you know, that's not modeled on, but UNC is meant to do that as well, right? Um, these institutions that are really deliberately and pointedly trying to serve their communities and populations, and I think eyes in the prize time, right? That all of these educational institutions should be able to make a space, not just make a space, but to acknowledge that African-American students, students of various backgrounds deserve to be there, that they're bringing, they're, they're not just bringing value, but they deserve to be educated in their histories and our truths, um, that we, we deserve to be there. So I would, I would say, I would hope that the principle of, and that we've always done this too, right? That making a way out of no way. Um, African-American folk have been everywhere. Um, we are in greater numbers and we have greater strength at HBCUs. Um, and there's also something really powerful to going to Howard's a private institution. What if you, you can't, you're in the state of California or in North Carolina and want to go to, um, to a public university where you might get a better rate on your tri- your tuition. So I think there are a lot of factors and I think there's a lot of ongoing conversations that we should we should be having like this one. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, there's some folks in our comments section saying, I never had a conversation about going to an HBCU. Um, also someone said if all the black top athletes went to HBCUs in solidarity, that might change something. I Listen, that would definitely change if all the major, uh, Division one athletes went to historically black colleges. That would definitely change a lot of things. There was a trend um, recently where there were many young athletes who signed with HBCUs. And you have people, um, including um, Eddie George at Tennessee State University, who's now a coach. And you have um, Dion Sanders, who's at Jackson State University. The one thing I would say is, yes, it's important that the presence of these folks that are very high profile public figures draws attention in terms of getting funding to underfunded 
universities that need the resources. The other thing I would say is in terms of public universities, vastly important. I formerly worked with a public university, but talk about your history, learn the history of the land grant universities yeah. and how those were created for poor and working class white people. And then you see it come online where it's 1890s HBCUs and then the Indian universities, right? So that's very important to, um, to learn that history, but they're very important schools. The other thing is I would say, choose the school that's right for you. But while I chose an HBCU and I went to a, a, a very interracial school in Montgomery County, Maryland, I know friends who went to Syracuse, University of Virginia, went to, um, went to Brown University and they had a nice enclave of black students who all looked out for each other while they were trying to navigate that landscape of just trying to be, just having the luxury of trying to be and study instead of constantly having to deal with, so why do you this or why that, but just trying to be, you know? So there's benefits to all, um, but HBCUs have a very significant history and continue to hold up that flame. Absolutely. So if you're watching this right now, share this interview with folks who have college age students who are thinking about going to a university of their choice. Um, I am so thankful for both of you being here and helping us have this conversation. I hope that we can continue to have this all throughout social media because it's more than just Nicole Hannah Jones told UNC to like, you know, it's where the sun don't shine. It's more than just, you know, a black woman saying I have options. I think we all need to realize that we all have options. And sometimes it's better to invest in the community that supports you versus the community that is trying to ban you. Um, so thank you again to Mary Elliott. Mary, where can people support you and, and catch more of your amazing work? Just please, you know, I know it's hard to get tickets, but keep trying. We are gradually opening up the museum. Our five-year anniversary is in September. So whether it's online or in person, please be sure to support the museum and come. And, you know, I'm around as a public historian and alum. So um, hopefully I'll be able to sit in on some of uh, Professor Hannah Jones's classes. I said I was going to register again. Oh, man, there you go. <laughs> and Dr. Baker, <laughs> people support you? Um, people can support me. I have my um, Twitter and Instagram handle. I try to um, keep it positive. I'm trying to put more writing out there. And really, I'm thinking about, you know, what is the work that we can do as, in particular, Black people, um, you know, just to survive? Because our survival was not guaranteed, and it's a miracle, and it is work in and of itself. So, and Absolutely. you can probably find me at the Blacksonian at some point soon because that place is an education in itself. Yes, I went, I went once. I, I did the whole thing in one day because oh I was like, I, I need to get through the whole thing in one day and then I'm going to go back and like really absorb it. So I'm going to go back because I know it's, I mean, I went pretty early on oh. five years ago. So I'm, I'm pretty sure it's like so much more. So I can't wait to get back to the East Coast and I will be making a trip. And I'm, I'm taking my mama and my auntie's they have to go this time. Thank you again to our amazing guests. It has been a pleasure to be here. Ladies and gentlemen, please support them and please learn more about how you can support HBCUs. You can make donations as low as a dollar a month. Um, you can pick a school that you want to support. Please, please, please invest in our history and our knowledge and our education. It is so important because you see how the links that they will go to undermine our role in American history. So thank you again to Dr. Baker and Miss Mary Elliott. Appreciate you ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
There you go. Thank you again to our great producers for making these guests available to us today. I see so many folks in the comments weighing in. Let me just say what happens. Yesterday, oh, someone said yesterday was Mary McLeod Bethune's day of birth. Okay, Ricardo coming in with the Black History Facts. Um, ladies and gentlemen, that was a good conversation. I was like listening and forgetting that I had to ask questions because they're both so amazing women and I would like love to like have tea with them and talk to them more. Um, and when I do come to the Smithsonian, Mary, I'm gonna shout you out like, Mary told me to come. Let me get to the front of the line. Okay, all right, more show, more show, more show. Okay, so we talked about HBCUs and critical race theory. Please inform yourself about critical race theory. Also, whenever somebody wants to like debate it, just ask them what does it mean? Because nine times out of 10, they won't be able to tell you what it means. So make sure you like call them out on the spot. Don't let anybody just like say uh, key phrases and trigger words. And then you just think they know what they're talking about because that's not true. Speaking of people, we're moving on to the next story. Speaking of people who uh, may have said too much, um, if you have not been following Black Twitter or Instagram Black Chef Twitter, you have missed this story, um, but I have to break it down. There's a woman. Her name is Angela Davis, aka known as the Kitchenista. She has been a food blogger for many years. Her recipes always look so decadent. She cooks with a lot of duck fat. I, I and I don't make any of her recipes because I feel like duck fat is a big commitment. Like you don't just buy duck fat once. You gotta like always use duck fat. But her food looks really good, right? Really nice. She makes biscuits from scratch, gravy, everything. So Angela Davis has been supporting herself with her recipes and her cookbooks for years online. But recently, she got into a little tete-a-tete with another food Instagram blogger or chef. His name is Darius Cooks. Now, you may have seen this gentleman because he came on the scene and he was very charming and a big smile and he was always making something decadent. And I noticed something about him early on when he was doing his thing is that a lot of his lingo, his mannerisms, his slogans, his tags were things that I had already heard before. Now, let's go back to Angela. Go back, Tim. Go back to Angela. So Angela had a little beef with him going back. But something happened recently where it kind of came to a head again. And Angela has accused Darius of not only stealing recipes of women chefs and black women, but also being an abusive, as in assaulting, and also scamming people who have come to him for numerous things. Now let's go forward to Darius. Now, Darius has been accused of assaulting employees at his restaurant that has been closed down. He's accused of defrauding people who used his food delivery service and keeping their credit card information. He has several lawsuits in the state of Georgia where he had operated businesses. He also has a pound cake company that will deliver pound cakes to your house. There has been complaints about the pound cakes because they're made in a different state than where his business is set up. Also, people have gotten a pound cakes. It's been moldy. So Darius has been out here, um, scamming and, and cooking up skillet meals here and there. Now, if you want to know how much of a cookie is, we have a video and you decide if you think that this man should be charging $200 a plate for uh, catered meals. This is a little adobo. I ain't got, that's all I got left. So I'm going to add some salt to that. Okay. So a little adobo. <laughs> I'm gonna sneeze. I might sneeze. Sorry. 
put you <coughs> put you a little sazon in here, okay? Now just just go with me. I don't want to hear your mouth. Just go with me, okay? This I know my grandmother don't use sazon. This is an adaptation, okay, of grandmama's recipe. Uh, obey. Why? Because they got all the seasoning in there, okay? Now, uh, you know where you're going with that recipe? To the hospital. Your sodium going to be so damn high, they think you was eating salt licks as candy bars. There's no way a person who is putting that much adobo, first of all, the number one ingredient is adobo, and adobo is salt. The number one ingredient in Obey is salt. The number one ingredient in Sasson is salt. So if you have any questions about whether or not he is a chef, that video proves that there was no measuring stick. He didn't say nothing about a pinch. And so the reason why this feud has been going on is because he has then used Angela's name and her company business to help sell more event tickets to his things. Now, this is why, this is why I'm talking about this story. Because what happens is, right, and we've seen this with Bill Cosby, we've seen this with a myriad of other situations, when a man is being accused of assault, of scamming, of deceit, of corruption, whatever it is, Darius also said that he would charge twelve to $15,000 if people wanted him to help them clean their credit. Now, I, I want to put Airmark in this note. Because we're going to have a conversation on the show about how to clean up your credit report. I will teach you how to clean up your credit report. I will do a step-by-step -step for free examination on how to clean your credit report. Let me tell you something, people out there. Don't ever let anybody charge you to clean your credit. It is free. It takes a little bit of time. But you can get everything off your credit report in essentially two to four or five months if you do what you need to do for free. Okay? So just going to show you the mindset of this man, why he would say he would charge twelve dollars to $15,000 per person to help clean up the credit. In addition to helping clean up credit, he also charges $200 minimum per person for his massive cooking events where he serves like a Kool-Aid sangria, I shit you not, and like uh, collard greens with shrimp in and cheese. It's just, it's just, a, it's a mess. It's a mess. But the reason why I wanted to touch on this beef is because when a woman such as Angela Davis, a.k.a. the Kitchenista, has done her due diligence and has shown so many receipts, if you go to her Instagram page or her Twitter page, if you go under the hashtag Darius Cooks, you will see all of the allegations against him from police reports. He's been arrested for putting his hands on women that worked at his restaurant. He's been arrested for not paying employees. He has lawsuits. He has tax liens against his business. So she has all of the receipts. And even with all of the receipts, there are people who will get up here on Beyonce's internet and say, why are you hating on this man? Why are you coming for his business? You're just making him more money. We cannot help if people choose to spend their money on known scammers. But what we can do is help bring awareness to these topics so that other people don't become scammed in the future. So I support you, Angela Davis, a.k.a. The Kitchenista. I knew that man was a no-good cook because he doesn't know how to measure anything and all his gravies are way too pale. So if you are a woman out there who will have to fight to get attention to help bring awareness to people 
who are scamming or taking advantage of your likeness for their own personal monetary gain, stay strong, okay? Don't let people in comments come to you and tell you how you need to do something better with your life. We've been in the house, okay, for a year and a half. If somebody want to get on Twitter and drag somebody through the mud and show receipts because they feel wrong or triggered by their actions and their harassment, oh, also... Darius Cooks has been known to dox people. There was a woman who complained about having her credit card information retained and not getting any services that she paid for. And he put her complaint on the internet with her address available in her like legit, like longitude, latitude location. Protect yourself out here, people. Don't fall for scammers. If you have been scammed, speak out. Let it be known because there's no point in you sitting in shame and being silent and having other people take advantage of you. Okay? That's that story. Next up. I only want to talk about this briefly, okay? Because this story blows my mind. Number one, we have two women, here they are, who work for ESPN. And they have worked for ESPN for a while. Now, Marie Taylor is a black woman on the on the um, right. The white woman on the left, I forgot her name. Tim, what's her name? Do you even know it? Come up here and tell me real quick. There's Marie Taylor. And then there's the other woman. No idea. I mean, Tim, now I got the Google. ESPN, white woman mad about black woman having a better job on the network. Rachel Nichols is the other <laughs> woman. And I definitely typed all that into the search. Thank you, Danielle. Rachel Nichols. Okay, so Rachel Nichols has been at ESPN for a while. She hosts a show that deals with the NBA regular season games. She was upset because Marie Taylor is now going to get a permanent position at with a bigger spotlight. And so... Um, Rachel Nichols was in her hotel room and her laptop was on and recorded a conversation she had with an executive at another sports team about how she feels as though ESPN was giving Marie Taylor a big job because she was a black woman versus giving her a job because she was a white woman. And she said that basically it's ESPN's diversity problem and I know all about it. Now, this is the reason why I'm talking about this because if you are a woman, and you identify as a minority and you feel as though because you're a woman that you need special help or more attention given to you because of the male dominated position that you're in. I get it. But then to double down and say, I'm a white woman and I know how hard it is, but that's why they're giving a black woman a job. You can't pick and choose when you are minority or not. Either you are minority all the time or you're not a minority all the time. But you cannot go to the higher ups and say, pick me because I'm a woman and then get mad when they pick a black woman. That's not how this works. Either you are ally or you're not an ally. So Rachel Nichols had to do a public apology. Mind you, this happened like almost a year ago, but the audio got leaked. And don't you know they, that ESPN penal, penalized the woman that brought the brought attention to the hot mic? Like they penalized a black woman who was like, hey, by the way, she's saying some really fucked up shit. She's Diane Sawyer's niece. Oh, you know. Oh, you know what? I see it in the face now. Darren, thank you for sure. I definitely see Diane Sawyer in that face. I see it. Okay. 
Okay, wait. I just learned yesterday that Rachel Nichols' husband is the son of the late director, Mike Nichols. Therefore, she is Diane Soda's daughter-in-law. Oh, there it is. Oh, well, I mean, I guess she's not blood-related, but they still look alike. Okay, so Rachel Nichols had to apologize, and they pulled her off of doing any NBA shows, like sideline commentary, and they replaced her with another Black woman for the NBA sideline commentary during the playoffs. So this is what happens. God don't like ugly. God don't like ugly, Rachel. You should have kept your mouth shut. You should have kept your mouth shut. You had a job and you're still going to have a job. But now you have to walk around the NBA, okay? NBA. I don't know if you know, but the N and the NBA stands for niggas. You got to walk around a bunch of niggas after saying some fucked up shit about a black woman getting a job. You think they're going to give you some post-game quotes? See, you should have been quiet. Rachel, you should have been quiet. Shout out to Marie Taylor holding it down. Her, and it's, the crazy thing about it is Marie Taylor's contract with ESPN is up the, this month. And so they offer, I think they're offering her $3 million to stay because now they have to like put a financial bandaid on what Rachel Nichols did. And now Marie may not even stay at ESPN because she, everybody wants her. So Rachel, thank you for raising the stakes and letting Marie get more opportunities. You should have kept your mouth shut. God don't like ugly. You got to stay in your position and stop worrying about everybody else. If you knew that ESPN had a diversity problem, you should have been speaking about the diversity problem before it pertained to you. But see, that's what everybody does. They don't really care about the problem until it personally affects them. And then it's too late. And then it's too late. All right. We got more show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm excited. Because now I'm bringing in two super funny women to help me break down the rest of the stories of this here episode, Sunday edition. Oh, I think, Tim, we need to do that. We need to do like a sound effect where it's like, Chloe Cross America, Sunday edition. Do you like that, Tim? You like that, Tim? Tim, you like that? You like that, Tim? Tim. Tim, you like that? Huh? What'd you say? Thank you, Tim. Okay. Welcome to the show. Two funny ladies. And I'm not saying funny ladies like funny ladies, but funny women, right? Um, I don't, I, ladies, maybe you can help me. I don't understand how to address gender anymore. I mean, I'm not that old, but I'm like kind of perplexed because it's like now I got to ask people that I've known for years what their uh, pronouns are. And I feel like that's like asking somebody their name after you've been friends with them. It's like I probably should have known this already, but now I look stupid. Okay. First up to the stage, Miss Leah Bonima, who has been a, a audience favorite. Leah, people have been asking for you since they saw you that first time in the shed about to get killed in the woods. So please welcome oh. to the show, Miss. <laughs> Oh, I'm so honored. I'm out of the shed, Chloe. I made it out of the shed. Welcome, welcome. You're out of the shed. Here's oh. you. <laughs> uh, Leah is not only out of the shed, she is also damn near my neighbor. Leah also yes. moved to Los Angeles with me. Well, we did me. it. We did it. We did it. We did it. Okay, Leah, thank you so much for being here. Um, also joining us for the first time, I've been trying to get this woman on the show forever. The super hilarious, funny, and can freestyle rap her ass off, Miss Caroline Castigula. Sunday edition. <laughs> Sunday edition. <laughs> okay. Um, so I just want to say I did not plan to have two white women on here after I just wrote. <laughs> 
I know I saw your faces being like, damn, she's going like, yeah, I agree with Chloe. Um, I'm not trying to put you on the spot to to say why would Rachel do no shit like that, but we all know women like Rachel. We know how oh, we do. do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so even though Leah and myself are no longer in New York, Carolyn, I know you are missing us every day. But I, do, I you guys. <laughs> but I do want to have this conversation <laughs> about New York City. Because last week, the world saw that New York is not all that it's cracked up to be. Oh, God. Uh, if you have not seen these videos, mm. let's, show, um, let's first show what New Yorkers had to deal with last week. Ridiculous. So... This is a video of a woman who is wading through chest deep water and a New York City train station trying to catch the train. Now, I want to go back, uh, Tim Blake, play the video again, but mute it because I want us to talk about this video. There's so many things that I did not catch. Number one, how is the train running still? Yes. <laughs> All that damn water. Tim, play the video. How is the train running? You Because you can see the train in the background. So is that water not filling up the tracks um, somehow magic only that, the station is flooded that station has a, a passageway that goes down below the track depth below the, the level of the um the um platform uh -huh. they got to go down like you know some of those stations that go down yeah, under yeah. and then come yeah so something clogged up the drain down in that one tunnel and caused the whole tunnel of uh to fill up full of water but there's no need to wade through <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, but see, see, that's the thing is that this conversation I want to have is psychological because Lee and I have talked about this, and maybe <laughs> you can explain this because you travel and like, you've been. I know I've seen your Instagram. You've been leaving New York and like getting fresh air and shit. So maybe you have like, a different perspective. But New York City is an abusive boyfriend. Absolutely. Who, who always tells you you can't do better. And it isn't until you release yourself from the grips <laughs> of New York City that you can look at a video and be like, why would anybody deal with this shit? I saw a video, I think it was the same station, of a guy putting himself inside a garbage bag mm -hmm. like he was going to potato sack race hop through the water. And as soon as he got down the last step, he just sunk. And this is like the, the level to which people are like, but the train, I need it. You know, it's it's just terrible. I can't believe there's another video of water pouring down the steps. Mm. I was like, you know, we should just have the Olympics here in New York. <laughs> and if you can swim to the train, you win. Yeah, that is true. It uh, change the name of the Olympics to the Hunger Games. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, Carolyn, we have Ali and I have not been in New York in a couple months. Um, how is it there after everything is open up? What's the comedy scene like? Are people going crazy? Are you? Is it Hunger Games? I mean, who knows? Supposedly, it's the summer of love, and uh, I'm over here alone. Like anybody, Sunday edition. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, people are psyched to be out. The comedy shows are starting on time. Uh, you know. They can't get the trains to run right, but a comedy show is starting on time. So we're definitely in a whole new era. Leah, do you miss it? Well, when I'm parallel parking, sometimes I think, mm, 
I do miss public transit. You haven't seen me try to parallel park. It is a complete shit show, Chloe. I'm just, but I was watching that woman go into the subway and I remember all those times where it was just like total chaos on the trains. And I was like, I still got to get there. Like no matter, looking back, you're like, why did I have to get there? You know what I mean? Because I was like, I need to get to my $12. I got to get to my $12. I don't care what it is to me. And then even when it's not raining, I was thinking about, because people are like, oh, it's hot today. The heat here on the West Coast is dry heat. So, like, it doesn't F up your pH. You know what I mean? You could just, like, I remember getting on those subways in, like, August. And as you would walk down the stairs, this humidity would just, like, slowly raise up your body. And you're like, I, that's it. You know what I mean? I got to I gotta go home and sit in cold water. This yeah. is messing me up. Oh, no. Living in New York City during the summertime was definitely like a three-shower day. Uh, like, if you had to go out and come back, you were taking a shower. Now, this is what I want to say about the MTA and, and these videos of... So, basically, if you're not aware, it's not just like a pipe burst. It just was raining. It was raining in New York City, really heavy rains, and the train system is known to flood. But this was really bad. Not only did the trains flood, the FDR hot drive which is like the west side like the west side and the fdr the major deacon all the major roads that go through new york city were flooded to the point where people could not drive now this raises a question i want you ladies to weigh in don't you feel like they should defund the police just so that they can fix the train system <laughs> yeah i mean clearly we need like money we, that's what's crazy is it's like americans are always talking about how amazing our country is and like new york city is the best city in the whole country and literally you that video looks like it was taken you know in a third world country like i don't even i don't even know what that means because like america is a third world country <laughs> do you know what i'm saying like on the low it is also and this is you know it would drive me crazy. I feel like I'm like bitching after somebody I, after I left them. I love New York. Uh, but it would drive me crazy that the people who worked nights and weekends would have to pay the same for a ticket when the trains never worked. Like I would be trying to get home at 3 a.m. It would take me like two hours. You know what I mean? Someone's like dropping a deuce next to me and I got to pay the same as when they keep the trains nice for the people who like work on Wall Street. No, thank you. So rude. It is rude. So New Yorkers, I'm telling you, we there's more out there. There's more out there for us. Carolyn, do you, are you thinking about coming to LA? Are you thinking? About Everyone LA? moves to LA, right? Everybody leaves New York eventually <laughs> because if people are like, I don't want to die drowning in the train. Like you know, you do. Who, I, I think LA would be a good place to get old. What's it? Do you guys like the whole like? hippy dippy healing scene yeah. out there always <laughs> like a way into Love it, it. <laughs> so, like the first time leah and i hung out i know she was like chloe is weird chloe is <laughs> because like when you see when you see a new yorker when you see someone who's just been in the trenches it's just like yo what's up what's going on this is what i'm doing this is where i'm at yes you good cool keep it moving but like Leah and I went and bought plants. We were just talking and walking around. Fact that they even fact that we even linked up is already a testament to show how much better Los Angeles is. Because I've lived in New York my whole life, and I've told so many people we should hang out, and we never hang out. Never. You're like I. I in theory I will cross a borough for you, but no, not in actuality. Even even having a car, it's like, did you have parking in your neighborhood? You don't. Okay, well then I can't come to your neighborhood. Uh, I had a great time with the plants, Chloe. I want to say that. 
Tim, why are you changing your photo? Like, <laughs> what is this photo you bringing up right now? That's not how you come up here the first 45 that's, minutes. Of this that's show. right. It's uh black Adam. Um, question. Okay. I've always, I've always thought about this, but, um, and this is in regards to like what happened in the subway, but when women are in water, right? Like in water. I, I feel like I know where this is going. It's does already the, bad. It's already the, bad. Does does the water go in? Oh no! It no? just heat. It just heats it up and makes it like moist. Which <laughs> then you got to take it home, plop it on the air conditioner, dry her out a little bit. You, you plop it on the air conditioner. <laughs> plop is the wrong word. I don't want you think I'm plopping. But every once in a while, there's a couple bubbles. You know. I want to just say, so that everybody is clear, do not be surprised by Tim's question because there are a lot of men who do not know how the female body works. I went out with a guy out here and <laughs> asked me if I was on birth control, right? Okay. And I said, no. He goes, well, can you just get it at the CVS? And I said, do you not know how birth control works? Do you not know that you have to go to a doctor and get a prescription? You just can't go and get M&Ms and birth control at CVS. And he goes, oh, I don't know how it works. This man was in his 40s. So that goes to show you men do not know how women's bodies work. They don't know how we do things. They don't understand periods. They don't understand anything. So Tim just thinks that the vagina is just open all the time. <laughs> it's like a purse. It's a cave opening. I will say once they do have male birth control, which is coming out, it will be available at every CVS, every Dwayne Reed, every Walgreens. My dog is crying in the background. That's why I'm muting myself. This is so New York, right? There's like an ambulance coming by the dog. I'm sorry. I feel like I wouldn't, nothing against, nothing against men. I can't believe I just said that, but I don't think I would trust my getting pregnant or not on if a guy remembered to take a pill. If it was a shot, but, uh, oh, did you take your pill today? No. No. Yeah, well, wait, Carolyn, do you know, what is the what is the male birth control? Because I know this, it's been around for a while, and then men chose not to do it because they didn't like the side effects, as if we don't deal with side effects with them. Yeah, they didn't like having feelings. That was like the study. They got upset about having, that was the shot. They were like, I can't. Am I feeling sad? This I don't want to deal with it. Well, now that we're on this topic, let's dig right in because, <laughs> frankly, vasectomies are reversible. Why do we just not have men tie it up until they're ready to have children when they decide that they're responsible? Come on. I agree. I agree 100%. I also think that people should take like a financial literacy test before they have children as well, um, just so that they know how expensive it is because I don't think people realize how expensive. Like people have pets and they're like, I didn't know how expensive a pet is. A pet is expensive, but a kid is even more expensive. So you should kind of know what you're getting into. Um, uh, Amara says, <laughs> birth control will be delivered by Postmates. And it should be. It should be. Matter of fact, you can't even come into my house until I see your birth control. How about that? That's the way that needs to work. If you want to step foot in my do domain, sir, show me number of control pills or shots, whatever you need. <laughs> the Wednesday is actually empty and that you took it. <laughs> yeah, I want to see the pack. I want to see the pack. I found a woman's birth control on Steinway at midnight. I don't know why I'm telling you this story, but this is one of my favorite New York moments. And you know how it has like somebody's 
it has her doctor, her name, her phone number at the top on a sticker. It was after midnight and that days had not been taken. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta call this girl. You know what I mean? So I call, it goes right to voicemail. It's like, Hey, this may sound creepy, but I'm on Steinway and I found your birth control pill. And I noticed that you haven't taken today's. And so if you need me to come meet you wherever you are, like you got it, you can't skip. You know what I mean? I don't know what's going on. She called me back. No joke. In like 30 seconds. And then I met her on the corner. <laughs> it was like, and we're like handing off. Drug deal. Uh, you are a, a noble woman because you if you mess up your birth control then you asked out and then you well got- i felt like it's you gotta make sure everybody's okay you have to well speaking of making sure everybody's okay this next story I, I i remember there was a time when the olympics would come around and we all rallied together as a nation we were very proud of our athletes and i didn't even know that the olympics had started i heard so much about the controversy than i did about like the opening ceremony i don't even know was there opening ceremony did did it happen yet? Um, I, I know that. Did it, Leah? Do you know? I think it's not till July 23rd. Okay, so we're doing all the preliminary games right now. Japan has announced that they're probably going to ban all spectators because Japan has not been vaccinated yet. I have some friends who live over there. They've done a very slow rollout when it comes to their vaccination, and now they were trying to hurry it up as if they didn't know the Olympics were coming. Um, And so now they're making sure that many spectators won't be able to watch the games because of population control and exposure. And of course, now there's a new Delta variant. When we talk about the COVID-19, it's so much going on. But in addition to all of that, the Olympics have shown their ass this year by doing something that has been so frustrating, which is banning Black women. Now, I know you may say, Chloe, you're being dramatic, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about all that's going on. Let's so show the photo. Um, in addition to Shikari Richardson, who's here in the center, being banned for consuming marijuana um, during the Olympic trials, even though she was grieving the loss of her biological mother, the Olympics Committee has also banned several Black women athletes for having higher levels of testosterone. Um, if you know the woman on the left, she's a South African runner. She has been banned because she has been identified as having m- more testosterone than the average woman. And the far right is a swimmer who is showcasing a head swim cap that is now banned at the Olympics because they said that black women don't need bigger swim caps for their hair because they know how black women's hair works. But in addition to these instances of banning black women for having testosterone, banning black women for smoking recreational marijuana and banning swim caps for black women's hair, this next one is pissed me off even more. The Olympics have banned runner Brianna McNeil because she missed a drug test while she was recuperating from an abortion. The Olympics committee said, if you were in so much pain from having an abortion, why did you post to social media? That makes no sense. And therefore you should have been present for a drug test. She has been banned for five years from the Olympics. Yes. So these are all the ways in which the Olympics have been coming for black women. And now I want to say to you, even though I know you're not black, but <laughs> why, is it, why is it that it is so easy to negotiate or ban women from a sport when Michael Phelps and Sean White both have said that they were high 99% of the time when they were competing in the Olympic Games? Sean White's a snowboarder, right? 
Yes. He was yes. really high on the mountain. Like he was like flipping, like, yeah, like give me a break. It's I think that stuff like this is disgusting. And it's similar to the Simone Biles thing too, about how like her moves, no one else can do them. And so then they penalize her because they're like, oh, you're too great. It's just, it's very clearly racism and it's like rooted in some kind of jealousy, I think, you know? It's like, oh, you guys are so much better than us. We don't know what to do, you know? Yeah. Leah? Oh, sorry, I was reading the comments on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> she said she won, she's running, I, I, I fall asleep. That's how I feel like about smoking weed is not a enhancement drug. I mean, in what world does anybody think that? Besides that she was grieving, you know what I mean? It doesn't exist. And the fact that Phelps already did it. And I was thinking what Carolyn said, I immediately thought of Simone Biles. And they basically said straight out, sorry, you're too good. So we're gonna make up rules. You're like, I thought that was the whole point, being great. What yeah. other excuse do you have except being like, uh, this is racist because that's the whole point of being an athlete, to be amazing at your gift, your sport. She's worked so hard and then to take it away, it's, it's disgusting and then it's a word that I don't know yet because it's like over whatever the word is. You know what I mean? I mean, a part of me is like, why do we even give this much attention to the Olympics? And I, and I don't want to undermine the people who dedicate their life to being excellent at what they do. But it's like, why are we allowing a board of people who can never do any of the sports that these athletes are trained to do weigh in on what they think is realistic or not? Like, there's no way that you could look at a black woman's hair and say she doesn't need a bigger swim cap. Like the large part of the reason why many black women don't swim is because we don't want to get our hair messed up. So now you have a company that created a swim cap that caters to black women and they ban it. And so it's like at every turn where you can somewhat be redeemable, you had the Olympic committee being like, no, nah, no, nah, we're just, we just not fucking with y'all. And it's just like, well, just say what it is. Well, also with the larger swim cap, like that would technically slow you down, right? So like if you're <laughs> still the best, you know what I mean? It's the same thing. If, if if you're a stoner and you're the fastest runner, thank God you're a stoner or else you'd make everybody else look real bad, you know? Like, what? I don't understand. Yes, I probably won't be tuning into the Olympics. I mean, I, I want the people who made it get there to win and you know i want black people to look great but it's just like at what cost right you could do all of this for a country that doesn't support you you subject yourself to olympic committee that doesn't support you and it's like at some point you got to go where people want you you got to go where people respect you and admire you and and want you to succeed and so i don't know i i don't know i i, I mean like i'm a low-key revolutionary so i'm just like we need a new game. We need we need something else where everybody can be, you know, trans people, people with high testosterone, like they all should be able to compete compete in a heat that is comparable to where they are in life. And and you kind of push a lot of people out when you say that you can't compete for X, Y, and Z. So I don't know. I, I guess I'll be watching the highlights. I guess I'll I'll be watching Leslie Jones um Instagram because she does really good color commentary for She's the best. She does. She does great Bye. commentary. Yeah. I mean, I could maybe participate in a stoner Olympics. I think I'd be good at that because I can't run or do anything athletic, but I could eat chips for like a full hour. Let me tell you what I can do. You know, what would be a great, high, <laughs> a great high Olympic uh, competition for me. Finding some shit that you think is lost. That's not lost. <laughs> 
<laughs> out of my apartment for a good 45 minutes to find something that's not lost that I think. <laughs> So that is a great, and I think the way you do that, uh, that competition is that you have to be on FaceTime because I've done this and my cousin can attest to this. I think she's in the comments, Nicole. I was on FaceTime with my two friends and you could just, they could just see me walking around the house looking for something. And they were like, Chloe lost something. She can't find it. And I'm going through opening cabinets, having a full conversation, trying to find some shit because I'm high and I cannot find it. And it was not lost. It was my headphones. (laughs) In your ears. Yeah, right. I've looked for my phone when I was on my phone. I've definitely done that. Of course. And I went not high. That's just like how badly my brain is functioning. (laughs) Yeah, I've done the phone thing while I'm on the phone. I've been, I've looked for my phone and it was in my back pocket. I didn't feel it. And I didn't understand how I didn't feel that. So yeah, those are all, we need some realistic Olympic. If you're going to, if you're going to ostracize and criticize and ban excellent athlete, elite athletes, then we need to have an Olympics for regular people that you can actually, it makes sense if you say, listen, you can't, you can't do this competition because you didn't earn it. And I get that. But for a woman to have an abortion and say she couldn't make it to a drug test and you say, so absolutely not. Absolutely not. Speaking of. And she only had to have that abortion because her boyfriend didn't take his birth control. There you go. Oh my gosh. We need men to have birth control like ASAP. I can't wait. Oh my God. First of all, do you know how disrespectful I'm going to be when I date with a man who's on birth control? Do you understand (laughs) the level of disrespect? The level of disrespect. I cannot wait to emotionally manipulate a man who is just ripe, filled with testosterone suppressant drugs. I cannot wait (laughs) to count them. Oh, I can't. It's sweet revenge, sweet justice. Oh, I can't. (laughs) Can't would be like what? you seem like a little ir- irrationally sad right now. Yeah, I feel a little moody. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some quiet time. Do you want some ice cream? I'm gonna leave you alone. You want sweatpants? You want your sweatpants? <laughs> you can talk about it. You want to watch a movie? If you cry though, I'm not gonna watch a movie if you cry because we not. This is Fast and Furious. There should be no tears. <laughs> I cannot wait to just oh make them feel bad. Make feel bad. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait. Like first date, I'm like, are you on birth control? I need to see it because we can't have this conversation if you're not on birth control. If you get a chance, read the study um, of the shot because they showed some of the men's. Oh, sorry, go ahead. So one of the things was like sensitive nipples. They didn't like that. They didn't like. They didn't like that. No. Interesting. They only want sensitive nipples on their terms. During a specific time period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Friday nights. The sense nip hour. Yeah. But there's like some quotes in the, the study, and this was for the shot because there has been different frame where people, it was a lot of people being like, I don't want to feel sad. Like that repeating. And it's like, like we like feeling that way. Yeah. <laughs> You're looking a bit bloated, babe. <laughs> I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. But I, and you know, and the thing about it is, is that men are going to lie about taking birth control. That's the thing. You know, they're going to lie. They're going to lie to your face. Just like how they lie about brushing their teeth and changing their underwear. They're going to lie. <laughs> 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 underwear. I mean, like most men should, they, men, you should change your underwear every day. But I've seen like things on Twitter where they're like, you change your boxes every four days. And I'm like, in what world? In what world? In what world are you walking around with boxes four days old? They could walk themselves. Someone said they did that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know people would be putting up crazy stuff on the internet. You know, you know how they do. Speaking of crazy stuff on the internet, you know how they do. 
this tweet came to me. I saw this tweet and I said, this is how you don't get a job. This gentleman posted this tweet and he says in the tweet, I flew to Detroit from Detroit. It's from Detroit. I flew from Detroit to Cody, Wyoming with little to no money. Didn't know Uber and Lyft didn't really work well out here. So I walked four hours to get to Kanye West Ranch to get a designer internship for the new Yeezy. People can call me what they want. But one thing you can't call me is a quitter. Now let's go to the next photo to see the uh, his sign that he just held up. Now, first of all, if you are... <laughs> Driving by, you're not going to know what this says. So already your presentation, it gets an F, okay? <laughs> um, number two, why would you show up to a ranch that you don't even know if Kanye's there? And what did you think was going to happen? This is problematic, y'all, because I think people think that this is how you succeed in America. And this is not how you get a job. Well, we've seen too many movies, this is the problem with every American, right? We've seen too many movies where all this crazy shit happens and it's like, I just showed up at her work and then she fell in love with me, you know? Like, and that's not how it goes. So, you know, he had a big dream in his head. Have either of you ever gone above and beyond for a job to get a job or internship? I feel like I took the other side on this. I feel like I really need to step up my game and start doing like maniacal things. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've just been like showing up to like shit jobs and typing up resumes and working, like writing letters. And I mean, maybe I should just start taking some crazy leaps and be like, does anybody want to make a Christmas movie? And just like go stand <laughs> out. You know what I mean? Just making signs. What have yeah. I been doing? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I agree. And I want to say this, that you should not ever travel to a place where you were not invited. That's just my number one. <laughs> I would not get on a plane and go to Wyoming of all places, Wyoming. And just to walk up. And also, where is Kanye's security at? Because why would somebody know where your ranch is and just pull up on a ranch? That's problematic. And well, do we know that he was at the right ranch? He was at the right ranch, but I don't think Kanye was there. And so people actually came to his, like, came to him, this guy who posted this and was like, well, if you're really looking for a job, like, where's your portfolio? And so he replied and said, this happened last year. And so they said, well, why would you post it again if you still didn't get the internship? So now it's clear you just want the attention, <laughs> which is the big problem that we have when you talk about, like, we watch too many movies. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like I guess I'm just going to keep reposting this until pe people or Kanye see it. And I get a job designing clothes. And it's like, no, that's the problem with the younger, the younger people. I sound so old. That's the problem with the younger people of the generation of today. <laughs> they don't know how to work hard. You got to work. You don't just show up and get a gimme. You don't just show up and say. You think you can show up in your fluorescent yellow sneakers and that's going to be enough. Somebody said Wyoming is white. I guess that's how he was able to find, a, find Kanye's ranch. He was like, where is the darkness at? Let me go walk to the ranch. I love how he Congratulations. said. You played yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. What were you going to say, Leah? That how he was like, I didn't realize that Lyft and Uber weren't going to work out here. Oh, no. First of all, <laughs> the closer into America you get. The, the worst Uber and Lyft is because it's people who are just driving their car. Like in New York City, the law says that the car has to be relatively new. No, 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 no. When you get outside of like the coastal, the coastal elite cities, 
it's somebody in a like 1994 Subaru. Yeah. The floorboard being like, I do this part time for fun. And you're just like, <laughs> yeah, no. you know, you're in a small town Uber when the driver's like, get in. <laughs> yeah. they, they live in the car though. Yeah. They do live in the car. Of course yeah. they live in the car. Listen, it's a work, this a workspace that yeah. they get to write off on their taxes. They're like, where you staying at? Cause uh, we got room. Listen, <laughs> I had a, I had a creepy, it wasn't Lyft, but this was, I was in what, Williamsburg, Virginia? I think it was Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, wherever John and Mary is, I think that, I don't know where that school is, but over there. And they didn't have cabs or Lyft, or Lyft or Uber. And I was trying to, I had a 6 a.m. flight and the mm. gentleman worked at the front desk of the hotel. I was asking him about cabs and he goes, oh, well, I can drive you because I get off around that time. And I was like, oh, okay. But a part of me was like, no, but a part of me was like, I really want to get the fuck up out of here. And I was like, yeah okay and he met me down in the lobby older white guy and he gave me coffee and you know how when somebody offers to do something nice because he was like well you don't have to really pay me I was like oh I'm gonna I'm a get this I'm gonna get a lecture like I know there's a there's a religious sermon coming in this <laughs> yeah because yeah, like, you're gonna pay in some way yeah. about to tell me about the benefit of something okay and so I got in the car and he gave me a big old glass of co- a cup of coffee. He was like, I feel like you might want some coffee. I hate coffee, but I can't like shit on the man's coffee in the car because now I look like an asshole who's getting a ride to the airport at 5, 4.45 in the morning. And the whole time he was telling me about um, his love of Jesus Christ. Mm. I love him too. And in the mind, I said, maybe he won't kill me because he loves Jesus. That's the thing. <laughs> That makes me feel safe. I was like, the more he talks about Jesus, the less likely he's going to skin me alive. And then he said, uh, hey, like that coffee, girl. And I did not drink the coffee because the other part like, was like, what if this coffee mm, has a rookie in it? Yeah, right. exactly. That's, yeah. The balance. that's the balance we have to play. Just got to slowly dump it out. At like, uh... <laughs> But see, you know, you got to fake it. So I was like, he's driving. I'm like, yeah, whole thing full, just full, just warm coffee now, just because I don't want to offend him. I also don't want to get this. Is the pressure that women have to deal with, right? It's such yeah. a fine line. We walk down the middle. Which way are we going to get murdered? And also, yeah. how, how to not offend your possible murderer? Yeah, like, I don't want to be rude before he kills me. Yeah. I really want to keep it polite. I want him to feel good about his coffee before he murders me. Yeah. She, yeah. Ain't, she ain't woozy yet. Uh, I'm black women and something else, boy. I tell you, they, they need a lot more drugs to get up in them. <laughs> if I make him mad, he's going to kill me harder. I know. And it was like a minivan. It was a, it was a lot of things. It was a lot of things going on. I sat up in the front with him. I was just like, Lord, please. As he's talking about Jesus, I was like, Jesus, I hope you hear me and make sure I get to the airport safe. He's like, what you have to do as women? It's hard out here. Like, you know what I love about Jesus? He protects women. <laughs> <laughs> he's really he's really on our side. I feel very safe because of my love of Jesus Christ. That's right. I feel like because we travel so much for comedy, we get a lot more of these instances, you know, in, in so many towns where we have to find a way to get out. We got to get to the airport. We have to rely on people. You know what I mean? We're sleeping in like random places. It's true. And we always have to be like hedging our bets, trusting our intuition. Yes, that yeah, absolutely right. I'm cracking up with these. Uh, can you show me Amara's Tim? 
Amara says, yes, we low-key need classes on not angering men while getting away. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not running away from you. I'm just running to the store. What do you need? That's right. You are so hot. I have to take a quick break because I find you so attractive. And I just, uh, I need like some space, like five to six feet. I'm only running so you can take a really good look at my ass. <laughs> All the things that we deal with. Okay. Our last story of today is basically a case study of if you can't say nothing nice, don't say anything at all. This week, Wendy Williams did a story on a TikToker, but it wasn't just that she did a story about the TikToker. It's the length in which she went to... I can't even explain it. Pull it up, Tim, so we can just start at the beginning if you have it. Do you have it, Tim? You say you have it. I have no idea who this is. Neither does Norman. Neither does one person in this building. Maybe Sus does. Uh, do you know who Swavy is? Clap. Clap if you know who Swavy is. Okay. Sus? Nah, it's not my, it's not my cup of tea. <laughs> that I got going on right now. Well, he's a TikTok star. He's got more followers than me. 2.5 million. Oh. <laughs> on TikTok, so bad. But on Instagram, you have more followers. <laughs> well, as my son Kevin would say, no one uses Instagram anymore. What? And as, as far as TikTok, I don't use that at all. Uh-uh. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't want to be involved. <laughs> well, here he is. Now, this is a part. <laughs> He's 19, and he was murdered Monday morning. <laughs> Can you believe? Can you believe? No, I had no idea that was coming. And now I'm. We're traumatized. <laughs> I don't even know what the word is. <laughs> this is this is the problem with people when you. OK, so as someone who does this show or even as a comedian, whenever you try to talk about pop culture things, sometimes you just don't need to talk about them. Yeah. If you already start the conversation by saying, I don't know who this person is. They got a lot of followers on TikTok. He's not even in her age demographic. Nobody at her show knows who he is. Just don't do the story. What was the point of doing the story about a young 19-year-old person who was murdered when you focus more on them having more followers than you on TikTok? Social media is driving us crazy. I thought it was going to be about a dance or something. And then already <laughs> it was rude because she was coming in yeah. being like, but then he's, he got murdered. That's crazy. Like the, the fact that that was like the punchline, like that's crazy. You know what? I don't even know why you would cover that story and then set it up with all that drama of like, I don't use TikTok. He has more followers than me. Like this young guy has a family. Like that's insane. But see, you also, when I see that clip, it also shows me uh, how people can be enabled because that gentleman who works with her 
fed into her ego and was like, but you have more followers. He already knew that the person was dead. He already knew where the story was going because he's a producer on the show. So when you feed into someone's ego, you are part of the problem. And that is what the issue is when it comes to social media. It's like people are so quick to like get the jab in or get the joke in or get the roasting or the dragon. And it's like, these are actual lives that we're talking about. And you look crazy, Wendy. Crazy. Well, I think Wendy, yeah, Wendy's going through a hard time right now too. Not to, you know, excuse it, but it's like, yeah, you make me think about like when we are doing comedy that's about other people instead of about life itself, it can get really messy and ugly. And when I was very young, I used to write jokes for the celebrity magazines. And then my dad died very suddenly. He died eight days after being diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And something like that, when it happens, it hits you really hard. And it makes you think about like, what, what are jokes for? Why do we want to make people laugh? You know, and from that point on, I was like, you know, I want to make people laugh to connect people rather than to push people away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sunday. You do such a great job of that. You really do. I th- One of the things I wished that I did more of was when I lived in New York was going to see other people perform um, because we just, we're, we're all in our own heads and we have our own schedules and we just don't have time. But like, I really wish that I saw more people. You, I mean, Caroline, you are great on stage and she's for real a dope ass freestyle i i I marvel every time you freestyle i'm not gonna actually freestyle now but um what you can do since it's the end of the show you can tell people where they can follow you support you and watch you i know you have shows that you put on in new york city so go support her even if you have to wade through the mta water so (laughs) where can people check you out at if you are in new york city please come to big break stand up which is the second and fourth saturday of every month at bluebird in prospect lefferts gardens Bluebird and Prospect Left Rack Gardens. Le- was it Left Rack? No. Left Gardens. Left Gardens. Look at me already forgetting the It's a fancy French way of saying Le Farts. That's how you can remember. That's how you know I've, I've been from New York too long. I'm like, is it, did you say Brooklyn or Brookline? <laughs> I had a whole conversation with my daughter about how Brooklyn natives say it Brooklyn. It's two words Brooklyn. Yeah. Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. Brooklyn. Mary J. Blige uh, had a rap moniker and her name was Brooklyn. Yeah. We, we didn't get that much of Brooklyn. Um, Leah, where can people support you out here on the LA coast? Out here. I wanted to, say, I love how I stood next to my uh, closet just because this is my first one ever. So I was like, I would like to get this in the video. <laughs> um, on my Instagram and Twitter is at Leah Bonima, L E A H. B-O-N-N-E-M-A. And, oh, if you live in Seattle, next or this coming weekend, I'm going to be at Laughs Comedy Club. That's the 16th and 17th. I'll be headlining there. Nice. Give it up for Ms. Leah out here hitting the road. Carolyn has a great show at Bluebird in Brooklyn, New York. Thank you so much for being with me on the first ever Sunday edition of Chloe Across America. You both are lovely. I'd love to have you back. Thank you so much, Chloe. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you. And Leah, where did you get that Fish, Fisher Price microphone from? I, it was a birthday present from my significant other, who maybe you noticed walked in right when you were showing uh, the last video. And I jumped because I had my headphones on and I was like, what? And I went into like 
because I didn't know he was home. So I sort of got distracted right at the end when the murder came up. I was like, someone's in the house. I don't know if you saw that. I saw the shock. I didn't know if he was shocked because of Wendy or because uh, someone was behind you. Well, it was a double shock. I heard it and then I heard it and I was like, what? <laughs> she was like, he's going to kill me and he forgot to take his birth control. <laughs> and this poor, this poor TikToker passed away. Oh, that's time. That's time. Well, thank you so much for being here. I sound like Wendy. Yes, someone died. And thank you for <laughs> You guys are great. I can't wait to have you back. Thank you so much for hanging out with me this Sunday afternoon. Bye, ladies. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And thank you all for being here this Sunday with me and Tim, who tried to catfish y'all with that new photo that I've never seen before. He's trying to really get y'all coming into his DMs. Uh, Tim, is there anything you would like to say before we leave? No. Thank you. Um, also, ladies and gentlemen, you can donate to the show. If you've donated to the show before, we appreciate you. But I don't know if you heard this, but we have producers now. They're not uh, camera ready right now. They're in the back hanging out, uh, making sure that the show looks good. But we're going to have them come on camera soon so you can see that these are real people and we're not scamming you like Darius Cooks. That's right. So if you would like to support the show, you can hit us on Venmo, you can hit us on Cash App, you can hit us on PayPal, and you can also support the Patreon. Um, this episode will be up on all of our streaming platforms. You can listen to it as a podcast if you want to replay anything. We had such a great conversation earlier this evening with Miss Mary Elliott and Dr. Baker. We talked about critical race theory and the purpose and importance of HBCUs. We talked about so many other great things. And we will be back next Sunday with a great show. If you have any comments or suggestions, you can always hit me up on Instagram. Hit me in the DMs. Let me know if there's something that you'd like to see on the show. And be sure to take care of yourself. This is Sunday. Recharge, rest up, prepare for the week ahead, get your life together, get healthy, whatever it is you want to do. Um, catfish people like Tim, you know, swim down below. <laughs> All right, Tim wants me to get off his back. Fine. Bye, everybody. See you next week. Hit it, Tim.